I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get started, and I think more people will join shortly. Um, so, look, folks, this is gonna be a relatively short update for for a few reasons. Prepop Labs, our chief technology officer, is on the road now visiting some family, so he's uh, not able to join the call. And, you know, we're just very full steam ahead on, you know, our our core long-term goals, right, which is to launch the V2 vaults based on uh, built on GMX at the end of Q4 and to ramp up uh, business development to line up a lot of uh, TVL from institutional capital uh, in timed to the launch of our vaults. So, you know, with those sort of two major projects moving full steam ahead, I, I will say we don't have a ton of specific updates this week. Uh, that being said, you know, I think there's a few things that I can share uh, that will be of interest. And of course, you know, I'm always happy to take questions uh, either on the Twitter spaces or for those of you who are on our Discord AMA questions and chat, um, the, the AMA questions channel. So let's get into it. Uh, ben, it's been a good week. Uh, I am back personally in uh, New York uh, after being out in the Bay Area for the Circle Conference last week. I, I shared a little color on that, as, as I think you guys know. Um, I think many of you were on, on that call. It was, it was a very productive conference. We had some you know, really meaningful contacts with really important partners for Umami. And you know, I came back feeling more confident than ever about you know, our ability to really scale these vault products that we we're building and to in, in Umami's ability to succeed in, in connecting with institutional capital. So you know, that, was, that was very exciting. And in the past week, you know, the focus has really been on continuing with our rigorous pace of product development for the ETH, BTC, and USDC vaults. The most exciting update that I can share, and I wish I wish uh, Repop was here to deliver the news because he and, and the dev team have been working really hard on this. But the back end senior back end devs, so that would be Toki Dapper, and then you know overseen by Prepop, they've started building the code, the the smart contract code for these vaults. And and to be clear, you know, the reason that we're doing that now, as opposed to say four weeks ago is because, you know, we've been in very rigorous back testing for the strategy to feel, you know, extremely confident in, you know, exactly the structure for the vault smart contract and for the algorithm for determining, you know, internal netting and also external hedges on GMX that we're using to maintain the target deltas that we're shooting for with these, with these vaults. Uh, and we're feeling good enough and confident enough after, the initial backtesting, you know, that we are moving forward with some of the actual smart contract development. So that's that's huge and, and very exciting. There's a few things that we are not going to start building out just yet because we are still refining and finalizing the backtesting process for the strategy. We've, you know, confirmed essentially that we are, we are very happy with how this strategy works and, you know, how it would have performed on a high level. And there's now just some more quite sophisticated and complex features of what we call internal netting. So the way that, you know, the, these different vaults, BTC, ETH, and USDC, function as counterparties to each other so that we do not need to rely too much on external hedges. That's a key innovation of this product and something we want to 
really fine tune and perfect. You know, our goal is to be able to track, you know, the target delta for each of these vaults very, very closely. Uh, so the BTC vault really should see the value of its underlying assets move closely in tandem with the actual price movements of BTC and ditto for ETH and, of course, USDC. So that's where we're focusing right now on the product development side. Uh, before I go further, I, I do want to just share you know, a few things that, frankly, I learned from our dev team. These, these were things that I think we had in the back of our minds at the outset uh, that we only feel you know, more confident about now. One of the key things that I want to share, this has come up often, uh, and I think it's a valid concern you know, about allegedly delta-neutral GLP vaults in general, but uh, not so much for ours, is this idea that, okay, so you can deposit into this vault and have a delta-neutral position in, in GLP. So you can have exposure to the you know, yield from GDLP while being you know, approximately delta-neutral. What's so special about that? Can't I just hedge myself, right? That, that shouldn't be that hard of a strategy to execute. So just a few things that we're really excited about. Uh, first of all, and you know this, this we knew at the outset, the fact that we are using our three vaults, the Bitcoin vault, the Ethereum vault, and the USDC vault, to be counterparties to each other, as I said, and you know, essentially without you know any reliance on external hedges and any of the capital efficiency or cost of hedging that that comes with, to be able to still have you know a very effective hedge, that unto itself you know offers a very meaningful competitive advantage that you know only a project operating three counterparty vaults at scale, as we plan to do, can offer. So that's it. That's one point that I want to share that you know I think our, our backtesting is going to continue to prove out. But also, frankly, we should probably do a, a separate research report on this at some point. But I really just want to give a shout out to Prepop, our treasury manager, Wen Moon, and our devs. The depth of their analysis and modeling and careful, thoughtful scrutiny of GMX's smart contracts is just unmatched. And you know, as one would expect with a very complex and innovative, sophisticated protocol like GMX, their smart contract code is very complicated. It's very nuanced. And you know whatever one would intuitively think would be kind of the obvious approach to manually hedging out market exposure uh, from their GLP, I, I promise you <laughs> that is not, uh, that does not apply. That would not produce the result one would think it would. The, it's, it's a complex, you know, very sophisticated protocol. GLP is nuanced. And one thing that I think is really going to stand out about these products, and this is you know, something I'm just learning more about as I, as I observe what the dev team and product strategists are doing, is that it's really going to be by far the most optimized way to get exposure to the GLP asset, you know, especially if you're looking for any kind of hedging, because it is complicated in this model uh, that we're going to be using takes all of that complexity into account for you. So in, in, in a few weeks, when we have finished the backtesting, we are going to be compiling all of this into a white paper. Frankly, the quality of the analysis and the modeling um, and kind of the, you know, smart contract function by function deep dive that the team has been doing is 
there's so much that we do want to share about the strategy that I think that we will break this down into a light paper that's more digestible and then a very detailed white paper for, you know, a handful of people who really want to go that far. Uh, you know, the, the TLDR here is that we're feeling really good about things. And I personally am just very impressed with the, the processes and the depth of analysis that, you know, Prepop, Wen Moon, and Toki, Dapper, and the rest of the folks on the dev team have brought to bear. So that's kind of the main update on the product development side. We'll have hopefully even more exciting news over the next four to six weeks as you know we get closer to being ready to launch. As I've said before, end of Q4 is our formal uh, target. And you know we still are on track for, for getting this out this quarter. With that, we are also really gearing up for business development. Uh, one exciting bit of news that I want to share on the business development strategy side is that our chief legal officer, Alex G, he has uh, he very generously volunteered to take the Series 65 exam that, that is required in order to operate a registered investment advisor firm in the United States. So he's took that exam, he's passed that exam. You know, he has many licenses, as you would imagine, because as a practicing tax attorney for over, with well over a decade of experience at this point, uh, this, this one is very useful for our strategy of you know, having a registered investment advisor and you know, also a licensed money services business that is you know, part of Umami, uh, one of its off-chain uh, US-based entities. And we think that's going to be really a, a valuable asset for for our business development efforts, particularly in terms of being able to reach you know new funds, funds that do not you know themselves feel comfortable on ramping on chain, bridging to Arbitrum, you know depositing to the vault. That's only a small subset of the institutional market is really going to have any interest in in doing that. So by be by having these licenses, we can be a custodian of client assets as needed. And I think that'll be a significant advantage. And, and that, that takes me to really the third point that I wanted to share. Uh, some of you guys have probably been following this. We recently posted job posting, a job description. It's on LinkedIn and also angel.io. I think uh, Gray Pixel, our, our lead front-end dev, also shared it in the main channel. But we, we're really getting ready, as, as I think I've, I've made abundantly clear, we're really getting ready to you know, actually start lining up capital for these vaults ahead of product launch. And to do that properly, you know, we want to have as much in place as possible ahead of the launch with respect to partnerships and you know, relationships with institutional capital. So the job that we're advertising for is called, you know, it's head of growth or growth manager, depending on seniority. And it's a hybrid role. It's, you know, partially what you consider kind of classic business development. It's partially also a strategic role. Uh, and it's definitely one where anyone who ends up being hired is going to be getting his or her hands dirty because besides myself and, you know, other, other members of the team who will be spending as much time as we can in external meetings, now, this individual will be responsible end-to-end -end for the, the launch of, of our business development campaign. So, you know, strategizing, you know, specifically the go-to-market plan, targeting specific subsets of the market, thinking about the mechanics of, you know, hopefully a few transformative and really value-additive CFI 
partnerships that that we want to build and also creating the materials that we need to you know do business development presentations and, and lining up you know a rolodex of of institutional investors and CFI platforms that can work with us so that's that's going to be uh, definitely a full-time job for whoever takes it and you know we've gotten a ton of ton of applications already which kind of blew my mind I had a dozens within an hour so we're already lining up interviews and hopefully we'll have an exciting announcement to share in the next couple weeks on that Uh, the big picture from a business development perspective and i think this is just important to uh start communicating because it's going to become a more and more relevant theme i mean i think very significant portion of our you know crypto twitter followers and our community members are excited about you know the talk of some kind of circle partnership Obviously, we did go to the Circle Conference. I don't think I'm going to say more about the specifics of any any interactions with that team, but uh, it speaks to the fact that you know C5 platforms, you know, institutions that are licensed and have you know the technical capabilities to custody institutional capital, to custody their digital assets on their behalf. They're going to be really, really crucial for us. They're going to be crucial because even though we are applying for the MSB and the RIA licensure, that's going to take time. And even when we have that, it still takes time to build a brand, to build an investor relations and business development arm, to build relationships and trust. And you know, to be able to go straight to these CFI platforms that have, you know, the ability to custody assets, have existing OTC desk capabilities, have you know really robust networks of institu- um, institutional clients already in place. In my view, that's going to be extremely valuable for us. I think that effectively that is what's going to bootstrap our first 100 million TVL, hopefully in Q1 after we launch these vaults. So, you know, are, would we like to work with you know someone like Circle? Absolutely. Would we like to have several partners? Of that sort, yes. So you could imagine, you know, just these, I'd be clear, I'm not saying that we're in talks or anything one way or the other with these. I'm just giving examples. You could imagine you know, an entity like Circle, you could imagine entities like, you know, Coinbase Prime, sort of the institutional arm of Coinbase. You can imagine, you know, some of these major crypto banks. Uh, you think of Silvergate, FV Bank, uh, these sorts of organizations. I, I'm not saying that these are specific partners, but what I'm saying is that. These are examples of the kind of institutions that already have built out really, really valuable functionalities and client networks that I am confident Umami can plug its products into and very rapidly through those relationships, scale TVL. So expect you know more conversations about that and more emphasis on that over the next three months or so. As we get into product launch and you know, really actively scaling TVL in Q1 of 2023, uh, I think that you know, in, in the near term, C5 partnerships are going to be crucial. And then longer term, Umami building out its own Umami, sorry, Umami Advisors offering is going to also be you know, very valuable because we, we, of course, want to be able to have kind of end-to-end vertically integrated functions for our clients and to not be overly dependent on on third party partners. So I think that those things that I've shared, you know, our progress on the vaults, you know, really compelling and exciting uh, data on the, stra- the underlying strategy built on GMX uh, and some of this news about 
uh, our progress on business development is pretty much you know what I can share and and, and what makes sense to share this week. Uh, but let's just kind of keep the conversation going. I think we're going to have some pretty exciting updates over the next uh, one to two months as as we really push on this product launch. So, with that, does anyone else uh, does anyone want to ask questions? Remember, we can field questions from AMA questions and on discord or people can just raise their hands in twitter um anyone want to just chime in on twitter spaces tiger welcome aboard hey guys so this is completely off topic not anything that you mentioned today in the, in the ama but just based on some of my my personal research i've done on uh, some of the decentralized finance products on arbitrum uh, notice that tracer kind of created a gmx fork of some sort uh essentially tries to operate in the exact same way. And I know that we have partnership with both Tracer and GMX. Uh, so I'm just curious on if Umami's thought about um, using this uh, mycelium fork to, to be either in, in the POL, in the protocol liquidity, or in, in the products themselves. Well, there really, really isn't actually a short answer to that. So in the near term, I, I would say no. Uh, we're not building anything on them, and we do not hold any of the uh, MLP asset, which is their equivalent of GLP. Uh, but that's not to say, uh, you know, I would never say never on uh, the longer term. Uh, so basically, given that we are trying to have, you know, products that are very appealing to institutions, which are, of course, going to be, you know, by no means degen and, you know, quite risk averse, the only reason that we're comfortable with, you know, GMX is because at this point they do have over a year's worth of, of performance data, right? And we're able to use that for our back testing, and it makes us you know, feel very comfortable uh, with their platform. And obviously, though, yes, there was the exploit that was on Avalanche. We don't think that it's likely at all that such a thing could happen on Arbitrum, uh, which does not have that AVAX exposure. Uh, so with Mycelium, you know, we, we would just like to see them operate more. They have a different mix of tokens in the MLP basket. It's more diverse, which might be attractive for traders. It's frankly a little bit less attractive for liquidity providers for, for a variety of reasons. So you know, that, that again, that doesn't disqualify it at all, but we're just going to have to watch closely the performance data. Um, and if, if they perform really well and if they generate you know, really substantial and you know, evidently sustainable uh, platform fees from usage, then we would consider it. You know, one thing that I would add that you know, maybe we could also potentially consider would be using uh, their leveraged perps uh, for external hedges. If, if it ever came to be, hypothetically, that we controlled our vaults, provided you know, such a large percentage of the GLP TVL that you know, we effectively were our own counterparty for the external hedges, then we would, we would want some hedge that was not on the GMX platform uh, to, to be able to, to turn to. So perhaps Mycelium could could be useful to that end. So hopefully that's helpful. Yep, totally helpful. Appreciate it. Yep. And do you have any other questions or does anyone else here want to raise their hand and chime in with anything? All right. Well, if no one else wants to chime in, that's really okay. I don't mind uh, reclaiming an extra half hour or so on Friday. Uh, stay tuned for next week. I think you know we're going to continue to have a pretty, uh, pretty robust cadence. And actually, ooh, I'm getting a note here. So let's do this. This, I think will be uh, quite valued. Alex G is, is he's on the call and he is open to sharing some thoughts on the Uki uh, Dow case, which I know he talked about the other week and there's a lot of interest in that. So 
let's let's get an update on that from Alex. Alex, I've invited you to speak. Okay, great. Keep things like somewhat brief here, but um, I wanted to just give everybody an update because um, last week I uh, talked a little bit about the Ukidao case, um, and uh, you know, there's some potential. I think. I mean, there's potential impact uh, for Umami from the Ukidao case. I think there's potential impact for everybody in DeFi um, from the Ukidao case. So Umami is not um, uh, particularly going to be impacted by it. Um, the uh, the But, you know, I wanted to just give like a brief update because uh, almost like immediately after the call last week, um, some lawyers I know sort of hit me up and said, hey, we're trying to file like an amicus brief um, about why the service through the chat box um, for against Uki is uh, is inappropriate, and um, uh, so I was, uh, uh, you know, I did not want to like do that in my capacity as Umami's CLO because I don't really want to. Um, I, I just, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to like get on the radar of the CFTC in. The context of of umami not that i just don't want to like agitate them from the perspective of like hey who's who's umami you know but but uh i did want to help this group of attorneys um which is kind of funny because like when i joined umami as clo it was like probably the 10th time in my career i've been like i'm done with litigation never again and then somebody always gets me back in so cool group a cool group of attorneys based out of the firm brown rudnick in dc they have a nice uh, probably actually like 50 attorneys in their blockchain group. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and so, you know, I was able to, to uh, you know, help draft and file a brief, um, you know, that that uh, argued against um, serving a DAO through a chat box. And uh, it was, it was, I think, a good, I think generally a positive exercise. I, the judge um, actually ended up granting the motion to allow service through the chat box um, for against Uki. Uh, but I think that um, he actually allowed it r- right before we filed our brief. And then the next day, another group called the DeFi Education Fund filed a brief hitting on some different issues uh, represented by um, Sullivan and Cromwell, which is which is not this is a little bit of inside baseball. But it's significant that Sullivan and Cromwell popped up because uh, basically that's where uh, one. one when CFTC attorneys retire from the CFTC, they go to Sullivan and Cromwell. So seeing seeing their name pop up was, uh, I, th- I think, significant. So I think the judge has a lot to sort of think about before he grants a default against, um, you know, Ukidao. I, d- I don't want to, like, rehash any of the points that I made last week. But, you know, I do think that it is significant. You know, what the, the question that really needs to be answered, I, I, I think, is is to what extent is a DAO, um, a person under the Commodity Exchange Act, and and uh, and and that that is it gets to the heart of how you serve a DAO. It gets to the heart of who is a um, who is under the jurisdiction of the CFTC, and I, I think it's a complicated enough issue that I'm probably gonna um, in a blog post sometime this month, um, you know, you know, put some detail out. Um, about about that um if anybody wants a copy of the uh um of the brief that i filed or help file i should say i did post a a link to it i think i posted a link to it in in discord but um if you can't find it just tag me and i'll throw it back up again um 
I, I, I actually thought it was pretty good. Not to not trying to like pat myself on the back. Um, and it was a lot of attorneys involved with it, but I, I think that, uh, ultimately it'll give the judge a lot to, um, a lot to chew on. So, you know, I just wanted to more or less update everybody and be like trying to put my money where my mouth is a little bit. And then, um, uh, the, the, the one other thing, um, <laughs> completely unrelated to umami that I wanted to mention, but I've just been seeing it fly around Twitter and wanted to just correct this. Um, this whole thing with the Celsius uh, publishing a list of of uh, all the account holders, which was like somewhat shocking. I think I was pretty shocked when it came out. But but I, the, the, all the discussion I've seen on it on Twitter and just in a lot of different places, even among lawyers, uh, is like, uh, how could Celsius have allowed this to happen? You know, they got hacked, blah, 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 blah. This was actually just for the information of people who are listening. Just I was I was fascinated by this. It's actually by design that that list got published. That was by court order. Celsius did not want to publish the list. They asked the court to redact all the names. The bankruptcy court said, no, these are all creditors. And there's actually uh, sort of public interest in their names being published. So it was not, if you see uh, on online, uh, which I've seen a lot, like, oh, Celsius like fucked over everybody again. It wasn't really Celsius. It was actually the bankruptcy court. So I just thought that was kind of weird. Um, but, but anyway, again, completely unrelated to umami. Um, I don't, uh, I don't really have any like, uh, umami specific updates. Uh, as DeFi said, we're moving forward with the, uh, umami advisors framework, which is pretty exciting, but, uh, that's going to be a slow process. So, but one, one step closer. So uh, thanks everybody for, for for tuning in. And if anybody has questions, of course, I'll, I'll hang out and answer them. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Alex. And yeah, I I should have uh, mentioned that you know we even even though you know as Alex said, it was is in his independent personal capacity that he was working on this Uki Dao uh, this this Uki Dao suit. You know, he, we at Umami were very happy that you know, we're, we're able to participate in this and, and to play the role that, that Alex played, you know, even, even if Umami itself is not in any way directly affiliated. Um, generally speaking, you know, we, we want to be more than, you know, just a project focused on our own success. We do care deeply about the space. And I think that's something that differentiates us, you know, even from a number of, of bigger names. Uh, and I think that's an ethos we're always going to be, you know, holding on to. So it's an, this is an example of, you know, any, any opportunity to, to stand up for DeFi and, and for the DAO ecosystem in general is something that we are keen to do. So just a shout out to Alex for stepping up and, uh, and being involved and supportive of that. And with that, does anyone, uh, anyone want to ask any final questions? Uh, they can drop something into AMA questions in Discord, or they can ask right here. Really appreciate everyone listening in. We'll be on, uh, as usual, next week, and look forward to our next updates. Thanks, everybody, and thank you for uh, sharing your updates as well, Alex. Thanks, everyone.